in a series entitled, Give Me Jesus, the very, very Christ-centric epistle of Colossians. And um, we will pick things up in verse 22. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of turning to your word this morning. And Lord, my mind always goes to where would we be if we didn't have your instruction, if this book did not exist in the world, if we didn't have it to wash us and cleanse us and feed us and equip us and all the supernatural things that you do with it, through it by your Holy Spirit within our lives. We thank you for the broad diversity of subjects that you deal with in your word, and we know that because these verses are in your Bible that all of this is very, very important to you, and thus we acknowledge it's very important to us. We've come here today for a work of your Holy Spirit. We haven't come, Lord, for a work of our own spirit or a work of our own expectations. We've come to receive from you and to hear from you what it is that you want to speak into our lives. And Lord, we surrender to that will, and we ask that you would speak to us as a congregation. We ask that you would speak to us from this passage individually. And we pray for this work of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> you might remember that as the false teachers came into the church at Colossae, they were uh, teaching the Christians there that having uh, become Christians, that spiritual depth and maturity was now to be found in human philosophy or in legalism or in uh, pseudo-spiritual uh, experiences, extra-biblical experiences, or in asceticism. And all of which the Apostle Paul corrected in, on a doctrinal level in the first couple of chapters, chapters 1 and 2 uh, of the letter. And then in the second half of the letter, in chapters 3 and 4, Paul instructed the church there and us as to where true spiritual depth and maturity is actually uh, found and how it is achieved within our lives. And then very specifically here in chapter 3, in verse 18 through chapter 4, uh, verse 1, Paul tells us that they are not found in some spiritually exotic experience, that spiritual depth in maturity is not found in all of the kind of spiritually rarefied places that we're so often told they'll be found or that we think we're going to find them in. But that spiritual depth and maturity, true spiritual depth and maturity, is found, it's developed, it's achieved in the nitty-gritty 
of the daily ordinary in life, in honoring God in our marriages, as a wife, as a husband, as a child, as a parent, as an employee, as an employer, and in simply living the Christian life in the most ordinary events and positions in life and living in these positions, operating in these positions in, in the, the daily of life. I remember, and I've mentioned it even in this series in Colossians, and I mention it every so often, but I'll never forget being at a pastor's conference up in the Lake Tahoe area, and uh, the pastor, his name is Chuck Woolley, and he's the pastor of Calvary Chapel Cathedral City, which is uh, to Palm Springs, what series is to Modesto. And he was speaking, and he began very theatrically by beginning his presentation by saying, the trouble with life is that it's just, it's just so daily. And I've uh, never forgotten uh, uh, that when he said it. But the daily is where our lives are lived. Uh, we don't live our lives in the past. We don't live our lives in the future. But in the daily events and responsibilities that mark each of our lives, and indeed for the average person, I would guess that fully 95% of our lives are lived in this place, lived in the ordinary, lived in the, uh, the rhythm of life, lived in the daily uh, <clears throat> of life as opposed to being lived in the extraordinary events of life, of a vacation or attending a wedding, or whatever it might be. And for the most part, we live our lives in our roles as husbands, as wives, as parents, as employees, and as employers. And I think if you were to ask the average person uh, how much of your day is left after uh, the time you give uh, to your marriage, to children, to work every day, the average person, certainly in the ancient world, but even today would say, very little of my day uh, exists outside of, of that realm and those responsibilities. And so, if our lives are not influential for God, in these huge blocks of our lives, these huge parts of our lives, in the ordinary of life, whatever that ordinary is for you, then our lives will hardly be influential for God uh, at all. And as a result, the Apostle Paul instructs us concerning uh, these areas of life. And so this morning, we come to the Holy Spirit's instruction to us in terms of our roles as employees, our roles as employers, however it, it might fit, and how to be a godly example and influence in this massive block within, uh, within our lives. And again, the instruction is, is invaluable uh, to us. The world, the nation that we live in has turned in, in large part and it's increasing, turned its back on uh, God's uh, definitions, on God's Word, His commandments. And, uh, and we see the greatest casualties initially uh, are in the realm of marriage, 
in the realm of children, as we see marriage being redefined, as we see families being redefined, and the catastrophic results that are occurring there. But it doesn't limit itself to these kind of things that are the most obvious. Anywhere that our country or the world itself moves away from the biblical standard, God who created us and knows how we are meant to live, how we are meant to prosper, what is best for us, there will always be uh, 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 that realm of life will become a casualty compared to what God intends it Uh, to be, and the same thing is true of the realm of work. And so as there's this moving away from God's standard and what the Word of God has to say uh, about work, we see the price that our nation is paying even in terms of a sharp decline in the work ethic. And I hear so many bosses talking about how hard it is to find good employees anymore. And if the work ethic isn't declining within, uh, within the country, and, and you want to make that a, a point of argument, then I would say at the very least the decline in the attitude toward work in the United States of America. And the, the moving away from what used to be known as the Protestant work ethic a work ethic that was based upon the Word of God. Now, I am aware that when Paul writes this and he speaks about bondservants and he speaks about masters, that, uh, that he's speaking to, uh, to specifically to slaves and to slave owners in the Roman Empire. Slavery was uh, absolutely prevalent in the Roman uh, e- empire, but it is not prevalent in in our city today or in in this country, and so we will apply it to the closest thing that it applies to in our culture, and that is the employee and uh, the employer. You notice his instruction in verse 22 that we are to obey our employers in all things. Well, immediately uh, we have to uh, address the single qualification related to that command. And the single qualification is, is that we are never to obey our employer if they ask us to do something that is unbiblical, if they ask us to lie or to cheat or to steal or whatever it might be. And because that would grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives, it would quench the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it would ruin the most valuable thing that we bring to uh, our workplace, and that is our Christian witness. And so we would need to tell our employer, I'm a Christian, I will work hard for you, you won't have to count the paper clips in my desk at the end of the day, I will serve you with integrity, but I cannot do what you're asking me to do here and then to see what decision the employer or the boss makes in the hands uh, of the Holy Spirit related to that. Now, first and foremost, as employees, Paul tells us that we're to be obedient to our employer. And it's interesting, the Greek word that Paul uses there that's translated obey in our passage is a Greek word that's made up of two other Greek words. And the two Greek words, the first one means to be under, and the second one means to listen. In other words, we are to listen to the instruction of our employer, of our boss, with the recognition that he or she is our boss. He or she is our employer, and that I am not. 
And then we are not only to listen, Paul says, but then we are to obey what we are told to do. There's the recognition that in that environment, I am under their authority, and I am to honor that authority. I am to honor that chain uh, of command. And this is what is called uh, faithfulness in, in the Bible. Now, the book of Proverbs is an absolute treasure chest of wisdom on everything. And one of the things that it addresses so helpfully, uh, among other things, is how to work, how to conduct ourselves in the workplace and so forth, and invaluable in its instruction in in that uh, that area of life. And so it gives us very graphic description of how a boss views an unfaithful servant or employee. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26, as vinegar to the teeth. Now, that's an experience I haven't had in life. Maybe you have. Apparently, Solomon did on some level. But he said, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. I'm familiar with that one. So is the sluggard to those who send him. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth. Okay, I understand that. Uh, every day is a good day that your teeth don't hurt. And so confidence in an unfaithful... That's not a proverb. That's, I'm, I'm not quoting Solomon here. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. In other words, a bad tooth and a foot out of joint are an absolutely miserable experience, and, and, they, and, and they are something that is impossible to overlook or to uh, ignore. And the same thing is true of an unfaithful servant or employee. They get noticed, and they get noticed uh, for bad by the boss. Now, conversely, when a person is faithful in a workplace, uh, it, 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 the employee then gets noticed for good. And a faithful uh, worker and, or employee has throughout all of time been very valuable. And rarer than sometimes we uh, give that person uh, credit for being. Solomon wrote, as a king... Uh, in this regard, again in Proverbs chapter uh, 22, verse 29, he said, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. The New Living Translation is helpful here. Do you see any truly competent workers? They will serve kings rather than working for ordinary people. And the point that Solomon is making to us is that this kind of worker, this kind of person is not as common as we think. They are rarer than we think. The world is always looking for that kind of a worker, and indeed, as Solomon puts it, even kings always have their eyes out for this kind of a worker. Now, years ago in uh, Reader's Digest magazine, it contained a story uh, about the, the doors that can open up to uh, this kind of faithfulness for an employee. 
And, uh, and, and it was a story about John Kenneth Galbraith. He was a famous economist and diplomat in both Canada and in, in the United States. And he wrote his autobiography, and it was entitled, A Life in Our Times. And he included accounts within that uh, uh, autobiography of his family's housekeeper, a woman by the name of Emily Gloria Wilson. And so he wrote. He said, it had been a wearying day, and I asked Emily to hold all telephone calls while I had a nap. And shortly thereafter, the phone rang, and President Lyndon B. Johnson was calling from the White House. He said, get me Ken Galbraith. This is Lyndon Johnson. She said, he's sleeping, Mr. President. He said not to disturb him. The president said, well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. She said, no, Mr. President. I work for him, not you. (laughs) Mr. Galbraith then said, when I called the president back, he could scarcely contain his pleasure. He said, tell that woman I want her here in the White House. (laughs) Now, I've worked in management and non-management all of my uh, adult life, and and how often when I would work in management, uh, I would see how often there were so many employees that would complain either either openly or or you know kind of hidden but complain about management complain about the bosses and all of the whining and the talking about what they would do and how stupid all of them were and and uh, without the slightest idea of the responsibility that's involved in being a boss uh, how multifaceted the responsibility is. Here is the employee has a single responsibility. Uh, the boss has multiplied ones. The owner of the business has even more than that. But it all looks so simple uh, to them from their vantage point and what it is that they would do if they were in that place. But to put ourselves and in, in to certainly be in any position of management at all is to immediately realize how important it is to the employer or to the boss to have employees like this who respect authority, who understand the importance of uh, hard work, that are faithful in doing their job and respect their boss's position. And as Christians, we're to be one of the most obedient and hardworking employees in any workplace we find ourselves in in the entire world. The work ethic of the Christians should never be exceeded by any other uh, group of people or any other person. It does not mean that we will necessarily be the most talented employee, or it doesn't mean that we will be the most uh, expert employee in terms of aptitude or abilities. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that we will never be outworked by any other group of people in the world as Christians. As the old saying goes, we're to put in a full day's work for a full day's pay. And in the hopes of obviously being glorifying God in all of this, but then even in the hopes with an eye to the body of Christ and the hopes that if this company opens up another position, that they will want to hire another Christian by virtue of the fact that I have been this kind of a Christian employee uh, for them. 
And again, a lazy, distracted, slothful Christian in the workplace is doing some of the worst damage to the reputation, not only their own reputation, but the reputation of Christ and the reputation of Christianity uh, as a whole. Uh, If a person is unwilling as a Christian to obey what God calls us to do here, then we should never identify ourselves as a Christian in any environment. I have never been in a work environment where there is any respect for a slacker, any respect for anyone that doesn't hold, uh, the, uh, carry their own weight. And, and the attitude is very strong towards such a person. And when a person pipes up and wants to share the gospel or tell everybody uh, that they're a Christian, uh, nobody wants to even listen to that person talk about anything let alone to try and convince them to follow the God that has produced this kind of a human being in the workplace. It does terrible, terrible damage, not only to an individual's reputation, but to Christ's reputation and the reputation of Christianity. Paul says that we're not to obey our bosses, verse 22, with eye service or as men-pleasers. In other words, We're not to be uh, employees who only obey when the boss uh, is around or uh, only works hard for their employers uh, when they are watching. And so they give the impression uh, that they're hard workers uh, when they're not. And Paul says that if a person does that, they are a uh, man-pleaser. So the degree to which... I am one thing when the boss is present and something different when the boss is absent is the degree to which I, as a Christian, I am not a God-pleaser on that job, but I am a man-pleaser. And I'm doing it here uh, just to seek the approval of man as opposed to the approval of God. We are to... Uh, uh, work just as hard when the boss is uh, absent as when he is present. There's one boss who had an employee by the name of Jones, and he said, Jones, how long have you been working here? And he said, ever since I heard you coming down the hall. Uh, This is the kind of thing that, uh, bada-boom, bada-bing, this is the kind of thing that we want to... I remember when I worked as a lineman, for the phone company and uh, years and years ago, and I worked with one of the hardest workers that, uh, and maybe the hardest that I've, I've ever known, a man by the name of Howard Hale. And, um, and uh, he demanded a lot of us on that crew, and he modeled, I mean, just incredible, uh, every moment productive, working hard, sweat, no matter rain, whatever it was. And, uh, and it, was, it really helped me to have this man in a formative time in my life model this uh, for me. But I also remember there was another guy on the crew <clears throat> who was completely useless. And he only worked when the foreman's truck was approaching, and he seemed to have a sixth sense for it. And, uh, and if you were working and all, uh, and, the bo- and the boss was coming in the truck, he would, could literally grab the shovel out of your hand so that he would appear busy and you would appear uh, idle when the, the boss appeared. 
And, uh, and uh, what he didn't know was that the foreman kept a pair of binoculars in his truck. And very often, we worked in rural s- uh, settings, very often before coming to the work site, he would go up on a hill someplace else and he would watch for a while from that distance. And so he knew exactly what he was working with. But I could give you his name too. And here we are all these 35 plus years later. I know these human beings. I know their names. And this is how long the impact of a a, a co-worker, for good or for bad, lingers, the influence lingers in in the lives of, of other people. He tells us in verse 22 that we're to obey in sincerity of heart and out out of a fear of God. Sincerity of heart speaks of a a singleness of heart, a simplicity of heart. It speaks of a wholeheartedness. And so we are to obey with an undivided heart in terms of our focus and our attention. So the employer is never to get the leftovers uh, of our uh, lives, uh, uh, getting the leftover of our lives after our hobbies, after all of our uh, interests, after all of our recreations, coming to work half asleep because we watch television until midnight or two in the morning and only got five hours of sleep, or putting in as little work as I can to hold on uh, to uh, the job, the importance of arriving uh, on time. As one boss said to his secretary, you should have been here at 8 o'clock this morning. And she said, why? What happened? (laughs) This is my Henny Youngman routine here (laughs) this morning. And so forth. And we're to come to work every day well-rested, ready to give that job our full attention physically and our full attention in terms of of energy. One of the things that's interesting to notice in, in the realm of work in terms of the Gospels is that concerning the life of Jesus, the religious leaders opposed him mightily. They sought to find any fault that they could find in him at all. They found fault in his virgin birth. They found fault in the city that he grew up in. They found fault in him performing miracles on the Sabbath day. But nobody found fault in his worth ethic. Nobody ever spoke uh, about any kind of shoddy uh, furniture coming out of that carpenter's workshop there in the, in the city of Nazareth. They would have loved to have accused him of being slothful and lazy and undependable. But even before he began his public ministry, he modeled this and took that excuse for rejecting him and the gospel uh, away from them. And so out of a fear of of the Lord communicates that we are to do all of this because of our reverence for the Lord and our respect for the Lord. And that's the subject he jumps into then with both feet in verse 23 where he declares, not having already spoken about the work ethic that we're to have, here he speaks about the attitude we're to bring into the workplace. And, and uh, we're to work heartily, he tells us. And we are to uh, do our work heartily. That's to be our attitude toward our work. 
Again, there's a certain kind of employee who likes to whine and complain about everything, every decision that the boss makes. They're all stupid. I'm the most brilliant people, person in the world. Truth will die with me. Wisdom will die with me. And no Christian should ever bring that attitude uh, into any uh, workplace. I remember, again, as I worked for the phone company, and uh, this time, at that point, I was a, a cable splicer, and we had a guy that was on one of the crews I was on for a while, and he, he was so smart. He was so talented. He could troubleshoot uh, any cable to find out why the line had gone. He, he was just the very best. The rest of us on the crew, you could take all of our expertise, put it together, and we couldn't even approach how good this guy was in, in terms of uh, how bright and how sharp he was. But just about every morning when he was given his assignments for the day, he'd complain about the assignment. And then, and then finally, if that didn't get him anywhere, he'd just snatch him off the top of the desk and he'd, and he'd storm out of the office and then uh, head out uh, into the day. And as talented as he was as a cable splicer, he undid all of that and more with this crummy attitude of his. And he actually became and was a, a terrible cancer in, in that workplace. And so as Christians, we're not only to be hard workers, Paul is telling us, but we are to do that work with a good attitude, and we're to work heartily on our jobs as if God were our boss, rather than uh, uh, the men or women who are over us. Because as Paul brings out here in verse 24 now, the Lord is our boss. And here Paul in verse 24 supplies us as Christians with the highest motivation possible for hard work and working hard with the right attitude when he says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive, uh, from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the right motivation makes all of the difference in everything as it relates to life. And so what is the motivation? Paul uses the word knowing there, and in the original language in the Greek again, it literally means to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so knowing that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ in our work supremely, not our bosses or employers, and that Jesus will one day reward us, we are to know this for representing Him in this way in our workplace. And so it's knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt. Paul says, know beyond a shadow of a doubt that whether your faithfulness or the extra mile or the extra thing that you do is noticed or unnoticed or rewarded or unrewarded in your workplace, it is always noticed by Christ, and He will be faithful to reward that, uh, us for that one day. And here in all of this, the Holy Spirit, is, is he, he inspires Paul in this passage and other passages he completely uh, brings a, a, a sanctification to work, a no, nobility to work that wouldn't exist otherwise. 
Do you know that work has, uh, is, is sanctified for us? It, 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 is, it, 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 it contains a nobility for us as Christians that it does not contain for anyone else because we do this as unto the Lord. It brings a meaning to our work. It brings a significance to our work that we would never otherwise uh, know and that the world does not know and cannot know without being a a, a Christian. You can just imagine 2,000 years ago and there in the Roman uh, Empire, and, you, and just stop and think for a moment what this teaching, how it would have impacted those first century slaves that were reading this uh, epistle that Paul had written. And I mean, uh, here they are all your life. You've been doing a job that you hate, you despise, you're grinding under the fact that the only reason you're doing this is because they own you. They have authority to force you to do this. One day you wake up, one day you hear the gospel. One day you are born again. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and in, in that miracle uh, of, uh, uh, of the Holy Spirit. And the next day you go to work, so to speak, with the realization that you will be doing the same things you've always done. But you will no longer do them supremely for man. No longer supremely, uh, merely as the means to put food on the table, but now as a servant of Jesus Christ himself, to look and to say, one day ago it was something entirely different. Today, I am an ambassador for Christ here, and this is where God has stationed me as his representative. And as a result, work is no longer just work but it now has become something holy and dignified and high and noble, whatever it is and wherever it is in life. And that's what Christ has brought to our work as a part of being uh, born again. And it is, as a, it is a part of God's work in this world as much as that of any missionary or evangelist or prophet, or pastor. And that's how God wants us to view our work. I remember hearing an illustration uh, very early in my Christian life that the Holy Spirit brings to my remembrance every so often. And, and I want him, if you've never heard it, to have him do the same thing as he would see fit in your life as well. And I almost hesitate to uh, stayed it this morning because Pastor Don McClure used it last time when he taught here not so long ago, but I'll, I'll repeat it nonetheless because of the importance of it. There's a man who came uh, upon a construction site, and there were three masons, bricklayers, that were involved in the building of a cathedral. And he came up to the first mason, and he said to him, what are you doing? And he said, I'm laying bricks. He came up to the second man and he asked him the same question, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a wall. He approached the third man who was humming in the midst of his work and he asked, what are you doing? And the man stood up and he looked up in the sky and he smiled and he said, I am building a cathedral 
for God. And how an employee views his work and her work makes all of the difference in the world. You notice Paul in verse 25, he goes on to write that unfaithful servants, Christian workers, will be punished for their wrongdoing uh, in this regard. Again, for misrepresenting Christianity, for misrepresenting Christ in a, in a, a very, very uh, damaging way, in a very, very influential area uh, of, uh, of life. And again, where people will, now it will be harder, even harder, to reach a, a, a person who's been exposed to such a Christian with the gospel or to take any of it seriously. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul closes with a very simple instruction to the employers, to the masters. This is one of the most unfortunate chapter breaks in all of the Bible. I mean, it was like, who got the idea? So let's start another chapter right here. I think somebody in King James' uh, cabinet went out and got a big coffee and a jelly donut, a sugar high or something, and came back and said, let's start a new chapter here. But here is the instruction to Christian employers. Number one, employers are to pay their employees what's fair and just, Paul says. From one end of the Bible to the other, God condemns the oppression of the powerless and the poor. It isn't a matter of what we can get away with. It's, it's what He notices. And they're not to be taken advantage of, including the working poor. He says employers are to treat people the way that uh, uh, God wants us to treat them and in a way that we would want to be treated if the roles were reversed in terms of employer and employee. That's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. And then he, employers are reminded that they're not the ultimate boss, that one day they're going to stand before their boss and they're going to stand uh, before him in heaven and be accountable for how they handled their position as an employer or as a boss. And it's a sobering realization. Is it, what, what Paul says to the masters here is just like, it's, it's one, you know, really powerful, strong thing after another, he says to them, because it's It's needed. It's needed in order to maintain perspective and to see people in, in that kind of, of a way. And so you can read chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and think, okay, I'm, I'm going to quit <laughs> my uh, supervisor position or whatever. The idea isn't to do that, but the idea is to stay in that position and exercise your authority in a way, in, in treatment of people in a way that Christ would. And I close with this. Ever since the, the, the beginning of church history, the beginning of Christianity, ever since the beginning, for sure, of the entire period of, of the Old Testament in, in terms of the history of God's people, there's always this, been this tension between uh, what the people of God view in their lives as being uh, secular and being uh, sacred. Uh, what is 
uh, really just worldly and, uh, and having very little kind of spiritual significance in life and what is, has tremendous spiritual uh, influence and significance in life. And, and as a result of it, people can view full-time ministry I, uh, like being a pastor, being a missionary uh, as sacred or as being especially uh, and obviously spiritual and holy, but, you know, holding a job and, and working in the world as being just merely secular. It just pays the bills, but there's really no spiritual impact that it makes, and, and there's no spiritual import related uh, to that. And, th- and that for the person uh, working in the world, uh, the only way that they can really, as a Christian, be influential spiritually is to volunteer to do something at, at their, uh, their, their local church. And for whatever reason, our minds just tend to gravitate in that direction. But the Bible teaches that there's no division between the secular and the sacred in the life of a Christian. There's absolutely uh, none. Paul is teaching here is that, that everything is sacred, or at least it has the potential to be sacred within uh, our lives. I do not and I never have, uh, as a pastor, viewed my calling to be more important than what God has called each of you to. I hope I've never talked down in that kind of a way. And what you do as teachers and what you do as plumbers or farmers or mechanics or computer techs and and, uh, landscapers, medical profession, what I do is different than what others do and vice versa, but it's not more important. And I have my place, but you do not want me working on your car or your air conditioner. And you do not want me performing surgery on you. You don't want me even doing a pedicure or a manicure in, uh, in your life because uh, God wouldn't get any glory at the end of that. But He has gifted and called everybody else to do these and other things in the body of Christ. And when we do it as unto the Lord, it can have an effect upon others in the workplace that is as powerful and long-lasting and influential as any sermon any pastor will ever preach on a Sunday. And I believe that as we allow God, God ends up placing us, each of us, in exact strategic place he wants us to spend our lives living out the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. And he directs us in all of that. And I believe that as we allow him, he places us in our places of employment as surely as he strategically places missionaries and pastors around the world. And one of the reasons that it's so important as Christians that we absolutely shun this division between the secular and the sacred, this divide in our thinking as Christians, is because the world around us does not recognize a sacred, secular division in our lives as Christians. They judge us 
entirely upon what they see in us in every environment in life. Whether they see us at church, whether they see us at work, whether they see us at the store, and all of it's rightly so. All of it's intended exactly as God intends it to be. And so they watch our lives. They witness our lives everywhere. It's exactly what God wants to be the case. And the key is to make sure that they see the right thing. And again, pricelessly, here God tells us what He wants them to see from our lives in this huge, influential block of time in most of our lives called the workplace. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, when we read passages like this in Your Word, in our initial readings of the Bible and in our early days and months and years of our Christian life, these can appear to hardly be spiritual uh, instructions at all. And then the longer that we walk with You, the more we realize that no one will listen to a word that we have to say if they don't see something different within our lives and to realize all of the different ways that you've given us to be influential in people's lives, to speak into people's lives. And we thank you for this instruction. We thank you for the nobility. We thank you for the highness that you have brought into our lives in terms of work as we're able to do it as unto you, Lord and with the knowledge that you will make it influential and that you will make it eternal in its influence and in its power. We pray that you would use this time in these verses to encourage and to affirm in our lives everything that we're doing right and where we just need an encouragement in the light of a decline in terms of the attitude of work around us in this country And then, Lord, we pray as well that you would use this to fine-tune or to massively change in any of our lives as necessary uh, where our lives fall far short or even a small distance short of what is uh, given to us here. Lord, we know that one day this life will be passed. We know that one day there won't be an opportunity to share the gospel with another person, another opportunity to put in a hard day's work, another day for, to witness for you this side of glory, then it will all be something else entirely. And so we thank you for the influence you've given us. We thank you for the treasure of that within our lives and all of the environments that you have strategically placed us. We pray that you would bless us, that your favor would be upon us, that you would give us strength and wisdom that is beyond ourselves, that comes from you as we desire to glorify you and all of the places that you have put us in life, including the place that you have placed us to work. And we pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.